the audio quality on tonight's podcast um, is not fantastic. I had a problem with the microphone on this particular uh, episode, and I had to use um, one of the cheaper ones I've got in the drawer. Uh, as you can tell, it's all fixed now, but unfortunately for this episode, the sound is not as uh, as crisp as I would have liked it. Uh, obviously, as it's been an interview, it's not something we could go back and do again. Um, so I've uh, tried to adjust it as best I can and get the sound um, just right. Uh, and So my apologies if uh, the sound just is a little bit off. Um, with that said, let's let's go ahead and play the VT or whatever, the digital file. And I will catch you all later. Bye for now. Hello and uh, welcome back to another Spruecast podcast. Uh, we've got another special guest this week. Um, more on that in a second. Um, with me tonight is I've got Josh uh, Gordon. Unfortunately, is broken down as we speak. He's waiting on the RAC, um, so he may drop in at some point. Um, we'll uh, we'll wait and see on that. So uh, we've got somebody that's come quite a long way, really. Uh, it, it, we've got uh, Brett. I don't know how to say your second name. Uh, Mark, Mark, Markart. Marquette. Marquette. Ah. So we've got Brett Marquette. Um, I used to know Brett from quite some time ago. We were in ISM together and uh, we had a you know, good laugh. He's a great bloke and he's graciously agreed to come on and do an interview this week. Um, so without further ado, we're going to jump straight in um, and I'm going to start, we're going to have a look back and see where it all began really, first of all. So uh, Brett, welcome to the show. Um, thanks thank for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us. And I guess um, the first question would be, uh, when did you first yeah, have an interest in modeling how far back does it go uh, for me it started when i was seven or eight my dad was building some models and he bought me a Ravel 72nd phantom i built that loved it and been doing it ever since i built some cars when i was younger i built some planes and i kept doing it you know i'm not i didn't stop for a long period like some people do I think the longest I've gone without modeling in 45 years is probably two years. I just have been addicted to it my whole life. And I've got some kits in my stash that I've hauled around with me for all that time that I still haven't built yet. Yeah, we, we're going to touch on your stash uh, a bit in, in a short while because I know it's, yeah. in fact, I think it's one of the biggest stashes I've seen. Yeah, it's out of control. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's massive. It's mind-boggling. Uh, I, I saw it when was it four or five years ago, and it was huge. It was it was just everywhere. And well, it hasn't slowed down any. No, no, I can imagine. Um, 
what's your, you know, what's your favourite genre then? Because uh, you, you tend to touch on a lot of things, don't you? you? If I had to pick one, it would be aircraft. But fortunately, I don't have to pick one. I build armor, cars, and planes, and I always have one of each going at the same time. You have four I on the go. Three okay. or four, yeah. Damn. I think it keeps me from losing my mojo because they're three different styles. You know, armor's dirty and rough and cars can be shiny or dirty and then planes you can do whatever you want with. So I can just switch between them when I start getting my lull. That's an interesting approach. I've never thought of doing it that way. Uh, I think that's why I've never really had a mojo crisis in modeling because there's always, I can just move to another kit that's in progress. Wow, that's um, yeah. I don't. I think the most I've ever had. I mean, I've I've got. I guess I've got about four kits on the go. But there's like there's a bike. I've got a um, a Revel One Eight bike, um, and it hasn't been touched in six months. So although I say it's on the go, um, some of these kits that are classed in that have not been opened for like a year or more. Um, it sounds very much like your your kits are. When you say they're on the go, they're you know, they're ready to you know you're working on them within sort of days of each other. It is. I model six days a week. I generally don't model on Saturday, so I have one day where I'm not doing anything. I don't watch modeling videos. I don't read magazines on Saturdays. I just take a break from it. But okay. Unfortunately, right now I have seven on the go. So where you and got on the go now? I've got a Blackhawk helicopter that Scott Irving and I are doing. Scott Irvine and I. And then I've got the train that I've been doing for about a year. 35th scale. What is it? ESR2, I think. Big locomotive, the German locomotive. All right. Yeah. Airfix B-17 build series that I've been doing for over a year that keeps getting done about once every other week. I've got the new Edward P-51D Mustang for a build over on Flory's page. I've got this Dauntless here. Oh, yeah. Old school spur review that I'm building that's got a lot of photo etch. So I'm doing a photo etch tutorial. And for a car, I'm doing the Smokey and the Bandit car, Trans Am and truck and trailer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Old, uh, what was the name of that guy that drove that uh, truck and trailer? Oh, um, anyway. Yeah, Jerry Reed, the snowman. Yeah, that's it. Um, so you've answered a load of questions there I've got in, in a row. Uh, So when when we sort of knew each other, you you'd been you were a manager in a in a chain over in the states. When and you then moved in and changed your job, uh, it's quite quite a big change, really. I thought from what you'd been doing to going into the hardware store, and. Um, how difficult was that? Because as, as I understand it, when you went into the hardware store, they didn't sell models. No, um, they didn't. This was your, it, entirely your idea. 
Um, so tell us a bit about that. How how did how difficult was that? Well, I spent 16 years managing Wendy's, the busiest Wendy's in the country in Silverthorne, Colorado. And when they changed owners, I didn't want to do it anymore. And the hardware store was looking for a manager. And during my interview with the owners, I told them I had a YouTube modeling channel. Because we live in a mountainous area, we live, the hardware store is at 10,200 feet, and I'm a little higher than that where I live. We get seven months of winter. And there are no hobby stores or toy stores or anything within 90 miles of us. So they watched my videos and they thought, well, you're going to, we're hiring you to manage the hardware store. If you want to put in a couple aisles of hobbies, we'll see how it goes. So I got a hold of some distributors and we set it up. And now we have four aisles of hobbies. Oh, wow. We're starting an online presence and it's grown in the community because we have so much winter in the wintertime, our sales for hobbies just doubles. There's, if you don't ski or snowmobile, you're stuck inside, and hobby building models is a great escape for that. And I've got people, I hold um, modeling classes every winter, airbrushing and diorama classes every other Saturday during the winter, and it's just taken off. It's I'm impressed by how well it's done. I was kind of yeah. nervous. You know, they're putting their trust in me because it's a very successful hardware store. We've been more and more successful since I've taken over. Yeah. So the hobby side being successful just added to it and showed them I knew what I was talking about. And because the hardware store is so successful, running the hobby side isn't an issue because even if it wasn't as successful as it is, the hardware store compensates for it. So as long as we were breaking even on the hobby side, they were okay with it. But we started making money, so they got even happier with it. <laughs> That's all that matters, right? That's right. Was there a point where you know you were really sort of nervous about it when you first went in? Because you, I, I, I should imagine that starting a, a business is a, a very stressful thing, anyway. Um, so was there a point where you were thinking, "Oh, I hope this works." Um, or did you did you have complete confidence from the beginning? I was nervous in the beginning because, you know, I've managed restaurants and I was a musician and I've never managed a hardware store. I just had management yeah. experience. So I had to learn the hardware business and then throwing the hobby business on top of that. I love hobbies. I love modeling. So for me, it was a love thing. Yeah. But nobody else in the area thought it was anything but a little kid's side project where only kids model then it would have failed and i'd be stuck with all these models in my stash which did wouldn't have been a bad any, thing, but. sorry did you use any models from your stash to in, in the very beginning no they let me buy everything completely from scratch i did bring some models i built a display case at the store and brought some of my models and displayed them they're yeah. on display at the store but everything we brought in we brought in new from a couple of distributors. We brought in Mission Model paints and Tamiya paints and Estes rockets. Wow. It's, um, it's something a lot of people dream of doing um, and you're actually doing it. So, uh, oh yeah, I'm really pleased for you, Brett. I really am chuffed that you, it's done so well. Um, so uh, with four aisles, um, 
do you, do you carry a lot of stock in in the store is it just what you see or have you got uh like a rear stock as well can you get a hold of a, pretty much anything yeah i can get hold of pretty much anything i do have back stock as well yeah and yeah i've probably got several hundred kits and wow. we started badger and iwata airbrushes and res primer like i said i got flory model products that we carry and it's it's a good selection it's mainly people build mainly cars and trucks up here planes are second yeah. that's third and i got a whole section of star wars because the new movie's coming out and everybody wants to build star wars yeah, so so kids just as a side thing, because I haven't got this written down as a question, but um, what about storing when it comes to paints and uh, washes and things like that? Um, with the altitude, do you have any problems with storage, or do you have to give any special advice out when you when people come in to buy the paints and from from what sort of regular people do? No, the altitude doesn't really affect the paints much. The um, We're a really dry climate. Our humidity rarely gets above 15%. So I recommend a lot of retarders and things like that to help when you're airbrushing and yeah. thinning the paint a little more. But the, the altitude, all it really does is build up pressure. So when you open them, you got to open them really slowly and carefully, or else it'll squirt out. Oh, right. But yeah, if you other than that it's mainly the dryness with painting i was gonna say in cold too right because you i mean being in colorado right right it was like 12 degrees fahrenheit this morning when i got up what's that in centigrade that's not good is it uh, no, no it's no, nowhere near <laughs> <laughs> no that doesn't sound good <laughs> But yeah, as long as they keep them stored in their house, it's not a problem. If you store them in your garage, then yes, you're going to have a big problem. Right. Okay. Yeah, you know, I started carrying AK Real Color paints too, and I got Tamiya lacquer paints on order. The lacquers do better up here than the acrylics do. Right. Um, you you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about the fact that. Uh, if if people had thought it was a toy store, um, things might not have gone as well. Um, so I would be remiss if I didn't bring in uh, the new rules for copper and the FTC. Um, just briefly for anyone that's listening that uh, is in the UK, um, copper is just the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act in, in the States. And the FTC is the Federal Trade Committee um, or Commission, I think. Sorry, I've got that wrong. Um, and they're just responsible for the children's privacy. And they've brought in a whole uh, lot of new laws that are coming, um, coming into effect January the 1st. And um, so I, I just wanted to let everyone know what they are before i ask these couple of questions here so with that in mind uh brett um as a youtuber um as a youtube user are you worried uh about copper and the ftc me personally i'm not worried about it i've studied it since i've been hearing about it and watched a lot of people 
And mainly I feel it's YouTube covering their butt. And that's for sure. Because, because my YouTube channel is more for fun and not for business. And yes, I'm monetized currently, but I've only got like 2,700 subscribers. So I don't make a lot of money. If my whole purpose of doing YouTube is for the fun to show people new kids, to teach them things, to learn from them. I'm not doing it to make money. So yeah, if I demonetize my channel. Copa doesn't affect me because it's all about advertising pretty much. And yeah. I, click the box and say, this isn't for children. And it's tough because modeling can be considered for children. If somebody wanted to push the issue. Well, that's but, the point. Pretty much anything can be considered for children. Right. Sports. You if know, you, yeah, if you push it, you know, there's, uh, it's, do you, do you think it's uh, a case of a mountain out of a molehill or do you, I think, I don't think the FTC is going to go after guys like me or guys like Paul or Phil yeah. or like that. I think they'll go after bigger guys who are going to then sue YouTube because we didn't ask YouTube to put us out. We didn't ask YouTube to collect data from people. None yeah. of us YouTube have asked you to as far as i know ask youtube to say hey we want you to collect data while we do this all we're doing it is for fun some people for business i don't think people like us are going to be affected by it because like i said we can just demonetize if it really becomes an issue and then they'll just ignore us yeah but you're still going to get reviewed though right that's and the thing if you know i'm not doing things I mean, I'd love it if kids watched it as long as their parents said it was okay. But again, now I can, when my kids were young, I controlled what they watched. I didn't just blanket give them control of YouTube. No, I you as well. So part of it should fall on the parents just as much as us. Because yes, I'm not making videos expressly for children. And I can say that. But I'm also con was the kind of parent who controlled what my kids did. Is it the parents' fault, the kids' fault, the YouTubers' fault, YouTube's fault? Whose fault is it if a kid watches a video he shouldn't watch? You know, when I was a kid, my parents would have slapped me upside the head if I had watched something inappropriate. Yeah. And my parents loved me, you know. They weren't abusive. They just would have not have tolerated me being a dummy. So I... Unless I hear otherwise, I don't think it's going to affect me or people like me. But if it does, then we'll just figure out what to do next. And as a retailer, do you think it will affect the business? No, it won't affect the business at all. You know, again, I sell ammunition in the store for guns. I won't sell ammunition to people under 18. I sell model rockets I won't sell the motors to people under 18 because they're an explosive. However, a plastic model kit, unless you know, had some obscenity, like, which I don't sell any, but I would sell to anybody, even if it says plus 14 on the box. I don't yeah. know if, because it's a plastic model kit. They have not, started, they've started printing on a lot of them, though. This is not a toy. 
Right. And that's another thing. If like this Hasegawa one doesn't say that anywhere, as far as I can tell. No, but there are some of the newer ones do say this is not a toy 14 plus all of that. And that's another way to get around the whole copper thing. If you're reviewing a kit that says 14 plus, well, it's for 14 and older. They shouldn't be yeah. watching. Yeah, it concerns, uh, another thing I should have said, it just concerns in the eyes of the American law, it's 13 years and under. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I think at the moment, I, there's, there's, there's a little bit of hysteria about it. There um, is. And a lot of it is misleading stuff by people. Some people are saying things that aren't true. Yeah, we, we, me and uh, Josh were talking about this just before uh, we, we came on. Uh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's conflicting, there's conflicting opinions, and the 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 terminology that they've used is so vague. Mm -hmm. um, it, could, it could apply to anyone, anyone, and anything. And I you think know? that's the point in why they left it that vague too. Yeah. Yeah, they've left themselves loads of wiggle room, haven't they? Right, because, again, a 10-year-old kid wants to watch LeBron James, but the video wasn't made for kids. They posted it not for kids, but a kid's watching it. Are you going to go after the kid for watching a sports video? Where do we draw the line? Well, that's it. They haven't, uh, they haven't drawn a line, have they? They've, they've sort no. of put this hazy edge that, that gives them plenty of, I mean, I mean, moving forward now, would you consider, would you even subconsciously start making your videos a bit less child friendly or, cause this is something I've heard people saying, um, people saying, well, I'm going to start making my videos. I'm going to start swearing in them and stuff like that. I have actually heard somebody say that. Um, just to try and make them, which seemed completely ridiculous to me. But then I thought about it and I thought, you know, m maybe that's a way around it. I don't know. It seems a bit silly, but. I think it depends on if you want to make a lot of money on YouTube. I don't, I've made one year this year, maybe $200 on YouTube. It doesn't pay bills. I use it for buying models. Yeah. If I don't make money on YouTube, I'm still going to make the same videos I make. And if I have to mark them all adult, the only problem with that is you can't search them. If you mark them only for kids, you can't search them. They won't mm -hmm. pop up. I just want to keep it the way they are. I'm going to stay the way I am until somebody tells me otherwise. And, you know, the FTC is not going to want to sue me for $42,000 per video because I don't have $42,000 to give them, they're going to go after somebody who truly yeah. is trying to do this first. And then we can start panicking yeah. right now. They've got to realize that the average person doesn't have $42,000 to pay out on a video. Per video. Um, and they're going to lock you up if you can't pay because you couldn't get the money, but they're not going to, worst that happens is YouTube yanks my videos off and I go somewhere else. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I review model videos. I don't swear. There may be an occasional, you know, damn or shit in there somewhere, but yeah, I don't 
get hardcore swearing. I don't have nudity. I don't talk badly about people. And, I just and the, modeling videos. And the, and the worst part is if you go somewhere else, they're still going to have them same laws and rules. Exactly. The rules apply like, not just to YouTube. It's like, what do you do? Right. The, the rules are the rules no matter what service you use. So why move my channel and my subscribers somewhere else when, you know, I yeah. still think it's about money. And if I demonetized, I wouldn't have any issues whatsoever because there'd be no advertising. And it's all about the advertising dollar in America. So, yeah. Now for me, I've gone through and taken like some videos down of like me and my son out here in the shop doing a kit or doing you know, just random goofy stuff, right? I, I basically took all those, set them to private, and we'll see what happens. Right. If I had anything directly for kids, I'd probably do something about it. But I think everything I do, I would love it if kids watch the videos. Yeah. I would rather kids model than play video games. Well, yeah, it's all about promoting the hobby. And, and in effect, at the moment, with what they've said, it almost seems like the they're doing the opposite. They're, they're not making the hobby any more accessible to children. They're making it less accessible. Um, and these kids that may have watched these videos, watched your video, gone and bought a kit from your shop, um, you know, they might, if they're now, if now they, 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 they've made it so that they can't do that, um, where are they going to go? What are they going to do? Right. And the only thing I might consider, because I do have hobby classes and I do have kids and their parents in my hobby classes, I was considering filming them for the channel. And I probably won't do that now because there's kids there. Yeah. But, you know. And that's a shame. It is because, you know, my one of my sons started modeling and it kept him from playing so many video games, which you know, Grand Theft Auto is a lot worse than building a P-51 Mustang. Well, it is. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, you, you can join the army at 16 um, and, and go and kill people, but you can't. Um, you cannot uh, smoke or something until you're 18. It's just ridiculous. Right. So for me, I'm not going to change anything. I'll just click that little box that says, no, it's not intended for children. Yeah. And just yeah. go from there until a lawyer or somebody else tells me otherwise. And if I have to demonetize, then fine. I have a job. This isn't my career. And I spent 15 years as a musician. And that was a hobby that became a job. And one thing I learned from that is when your hobby becomes your job, it stops being fun, which is why I don't play music professionally anymore, because it became a job and stopped being fun. I don't think I want this to become that kind of job. Yeah. That was actually one of my next questions about uh, has it become less fun? Um, and I, I don't think it has in your case. No, for me, because I ran Wendy's and I was working 78 hours a week, modeling was an escape. Yeah. I came home. Wendy's is a big picture. You know, you're doing $2,000 an hour in sales and your big picture. Come home modeling, you're focused on this thing. You can only think about it. Escape yeah. the world. Same the hardware store. I don't work as many hours and it's not near as difficult a job, but it's still an escape for me. It's still fun. And making videos is fun. 
you know, it's all fun for me, even just selling the hobbies because it's not, it's part of the hardware store, not the whole store. Yeah. I, I love your enthusiasm for it. It's um, fantastic. And it shows in your videos as well. You do, you know, I, I like watching your videos and um, people should give them uh, a look. We will provide links and uh, towards the end, uh, Brett will have the opportunity to give out his uh, address and shop and whatever he wants. And we'll get them put on, um, tagged onto the, uh, tabbed onto the bottom of the podcast. Um, so, so while Mark's thinking of his next question, yeah. what do you think of nationals in Tennessee this year? I loved it. It was probably the best nationals I'd been to. I've been to, I think six now in my lifetime. And it was the most fun I had. I drove 19 hours to get there. And I got to hang out with Scott and a few other people that I, from the scale model graveyard and other people I've met. And I got to meet the president of Zuki Moore. I got a picture with him. Oh, wow. Kits and oh, that's cool. I spent four days there just having a great time. And I think the guys in Chattanooga did a great job. And I'd go back in a second. Well, there's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was the thing I wanted to ask you because that – from what a couple people around here told me is the like venue was massive. It was. it was everywhere. And it was, you know, the last one I went to was in Omaha, which was still a good show, but it was small. The, the venue was smaller. So the, like the cellar area, the trader area seemed cramped. This one was all spread out. It was easy to shop. You know, the, the, contest in the display area was huge and it was just wonderful as big as Telford uh, probably from what I've seen pictures of Telford probably as big as hall one and two not all three halls yeah because they say Telford's the biggest um, is it in the world or in Europe I'm not sure yeah they dispute that I mean ours lasts for four days so we have a lot more fun we're not trying to rush through it yeah, that's the thing with Telford. I went once, um, had a great day. It was brilliant. Um, bought a load of things. But you were constantly, come on, come on, let's get to the next bit. Because, you, you know, time was ticking and there was so much there. Um, you were always sort of rushing. And, it, um, and that sort of ruined it a bit. Yeah, next year's in Texas, and I'm not sure if I'm going to that one because Texas in July is never fun. Cool. The year I after that, I'm taking. yeah, the it's year the after that, I'm taking though, it. that one. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering where where it's going to be in Vegas. Yeah, be one of the conventions or not. Yep, but it should be fun. So you never made it to Telford then. No, I was going two years in a row. I was going and something happened. Yeah. I'm going to get there eventually, maybe next year. I One of these years, I am going to get there. Yeah, you had uh, you were involved in an accident, weren't you, the, the year? Yeah, the last yeah. time I was going to go, I was driving yeah. down to the storm, and there was a car accident that kept me from going. Yeah, and that, was, that must have been so um, demoralizing. It was. To meet a whole bunch of my good friends from ISM and hang out with them, and it was yeah. gonna be fun. Yeah, it was. 
Yeah, I could. Have, I would have been so gutted, and I, as I imagine you were. I mean, yeah, I'll anyway. as you worked in the retail section um, with the models and that, have you ever been surprised by anything you've seen or learned working in that sector? Um, The costs of some kits surprise me sometimes, you know. Sometimes they're just out of control. And I can't think of a good example right now. What, you mean like a, a big markup on them? Yeah. Because I can sell most of them for what I want, except for Tamiya. Tamiya, I'm locked into a, um, I think it's called MAD, minimum advertised, or MAP, minimum advertised pricing. I can't advertise lower than what Tamiya sets the price at. So how does that work? Do they do they contact you directly, or do they just send out an email and say this is what this is the kit, and you will sell it at this price? Yeah, you've got to sign a contract when you decide to sell Tammy a kit, saying you'll sell it for whatever price they minimum advertised price they set it at. If you don't, then they pull your right to sell Tammy stuff. Oh, and they're wow. not able to do that, you know. So it's quite a cutthroat. Do you think it's quite a cutthroat business behind the scenes? Tamiya, I believe, does it to keep online people from undercutting the stores. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah, they have good intentions for why they do it. Because you know, if I was trying to run only a hobby store with all the online people, I could be out of business quick. Just because they don't have a store overhead that you know I'm running a store. Yeah. If they're just sitting at their home selling kits, they don't have a store. So I think Tammy has good intentions with why they do that. Yeah. So, I mean, you're introducing your online this year. Mm -hmm. um, I should imagine you've got, um, because from what I see, they, they do so well over here, the, the online retailers. Um, where do you see that going? What's, have you got like a plan for that? Do you see it uh, taking over the, the sort of bricks uh, and mortar business? For me, no. I don't have time to focus so much on the online part. I started the online part because I was selling Flory model products to North America yeah. and needed a place to sell those where everyone could see them. Then I started adding model kits and mission model paints and stuff into there. I still think it's best to be able to walk into a store and buy things. Yeah. I, 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 I've got to admit, I like that. Yeah. I've had people from other parts of Colorado see the online store or hear Phil Flory talking about it and drive up to the store to buy things instead of having me ship them to them. And they're a couple hundred miles away. So I'd much rather work to get them in the store than give them the out of online. Yeah. Has, has Phil been to this store at so. all? It's more fun talking to people and showing them stuff and getting them hands-on and, you know, opening the box and saying, you know, this is what's in here and watch my videos and you'll see what's in the box. And Yeah, you can kind of sell it, can't you? When, when If somebody's there, and you, your enthusiasm um, right. rubs off. Uh, I've seen it. It's happened to me no end of times, and I've seen it happen to other people. It's like the case of, you know, you, I don't know, uh, for example, you'll pick up a fishing magazine, and then 
in the next day you think, oh, I quite fancy going fishing. It's that sort of thing. Um, right. It just rubs off. Uh, and that's why when, you know, when, when Mojo is low or stuff like that, I will often buy a modeling magazine. Um, but, yeah, it's nice to go into a store and uh, look at the kits. We, we've got a store in Northampton. Um, unfortunately, they're not very friendly in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, you, you can't, you're not allowed to look in the kits or anything like that. Um, most of them are way up high, you've got to ask to, you know, it's, uh, but is what it is. Um, it's still nice to go and look at the paints and the tools and everything and go from there. Um, um, in the store, if they don't see something they want, I'll walk them to the back room where I have stuff stored that's not on the shelf and show them that. And if they don't, still don't, I'll order it for them. Yeah. That's, um, so uh, what's your favorite item that you've got in the shop at the moment? Is there anything you've got your eye on that you think, yeah, I'm thinking of buying that or having that or whatever? Well, my next favorite thing is going to be the new HK148 17 coming out in a couple of weeks. All right. I've been, you know, we've had the Ravel 148B17 for almost 50 years. Yeah, I've got a built up. Updated it. Yeah, it looks nice, that B17. Um, there's some really top of the line Iwata airbrushes that I'd like to get for myself someday. Just. I mean, I've got good airbrushes, but something about a $500. And same with Badger. They've got a really nice top-end airbrush. Do you sell those? Do you sell them top-end sort of airbrushes? or? No, mostly it's the lower and the middle end. There's just, yeah. you know, Leadville's not a, a rich area. We're kind of a rural, rural area. So people start at the lower end and then work their way up as they learn. I just keep a top end in stock just so I can look at it. <laughs> Maybe somebody will buy it. Maybe I'll buy it. But it's there if somebody wants to buy it. Nice. Have you ever used any of them top end airbrushes? I've, I've never had the privilege of using one. I did because I had the Iwata rep come around and he had some demo ones. So I got to use one then. They're really smooth. Nice. But in the end, they're all still just airbrushes. You can do the same thing with a lower-end airbrush. That's what I tell people, you know. First, learn, because you can do a lot with a cheap airbrush. Yeah. And yeah, then, yeah, move up one level. You know when, I mean, does anyone really need a $500 airbrush? Not for I mean, me. I mean, maybe for tattooing or for painting or figure painting maybe, but not for what we do. That's more of one of those... I got it sort of things for no good reason. Where, where do you see the store going? Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, I'm in the process right now of trying to buy the store from the owners. They're in their seventies and they want to retire. So we're working on me buying it. Ooh, you got so, big plans. Yep. I'll be owning a hardware hobby store probably in the next six months. And as long as we stay successful, which Leadville's, growing but slowly so it's not going to overwhelm us yeah i think the community really loves us and appreciates what we do for you know 
we got 18 inches of snow, they know the hardware store is going to be open. You so know, you the, open you open regardless of the weather. You right because I actually have a snow plow on my truck, so I plow the lot, and my employees know if there's too much snow, I'll just plow out to their house and pick them up. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so we're open no matter what because the town needs us. You know, we're it for 40 miles. If something okay. breaks, they need us. And with the hobby store, as long as we maintain what we're doing, and I can keep bringing new new stuff as it comes out. And there's still enthusiasm in the community. I'm all for it. You know, I just want to make the community happy and then keep building models. Because I just, I love it. It's so much fun for me. It's great. It's great to hear somebody that's got um, that level. Because all too often, I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. You know, you hear people, oh, I've got low mojo. And, it can, you know, it does get kind of a bit depressing at times it can get um so when you you know you get somebody like yourself that's really really pumped for it it's uh it, it rubs off uh, you know it rubs off on everyone else it's great i'm really happy for you brett um that's about all i've got in the terms of the questions i've written um josh have you got anything you want to ask brett so Talk about the locomotive build you've been doing. Yep. How do you, how do you, I mean, that's really, I've never really seen a train kit there. You're the first person I've seen do that. How, how do compared to some of the other stuff? Well, it's kind of a, cause it's got so many small, delicate parts. I mean, you know, the people listening won't be able to see this, but this is the locomotive part. Yeah. That's, that's about what's that about seven inches eight inches long uh this part is 11 then you add the cab to the back and it becomes 13 and a half because it sits like this oh that's much bigger than the one i'm building <laughs> much bigger there's just a lot of detail like these wheels because you have to have the shiny part here because it's rubbing on the rail yeah I don't know if you saw my last update I did last week, but this is Mr. Color um, Dark Iron Buffable. So it's yeah. all spread there, and then you buff out this part here, and it became easy. It made it all shiny and looking right. I am following it, uh, Brett, because I'm, I've got that one at the moment. I don't know if you can – I'm building that it's one. It's the same kit, isn't it? No. No, this is the Revel Big Boy Locomotive 187. Yeah, this one's the... Uh, oh, wow, that is so much bigger than this. Oh, okay. The R86. Yeah, that's oh, nice. okay. But, uh, essentially the same... I'm coming across the same sort of problems or same things I'm trying to achieve as, as you are with that, with the shiny um, outside. Yeah, I found you just spray it with the dark iron... And then you buff the outsides with the Q-tip, and it makes it all nice and, I mean, that's what it looks like. I mean, it starts out that color and that color, then you buff it and you get that. Yeah. And it looks great. And then I'm building a snow diorama scene with some soldiers huddled. Here's some of the soldiers here I just started doing. Wow. That's so, cool. It's an ongoing thing, but 
I've never built a train model before. And I thought that would be fun. And it's been fun. It's just because there's so many, so much piping and so many little parts, you got to be really careful with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I found. I've got, I mean, I, with mine, I was particularly impressed with the coal. Um, it's got a little trailer on the back of it that's full of coal. And um, I've gone around it and put like a little gloss uh, finish on one side. And it took me ages so that when it's in the light, you get this, you get this little flashlight you get off coal. Yeah. Um, and then when, when you start looking at it proper, it's sort of matte because it, it was very difficult. Um, no, no, it wasn't difficult. It was time consuming because uh, of the scale, very small, and I had to go in and. Um, but yeah, and and will you stand that? Uh, uh, does it come with a track? I mean, mine came with a little bit yep. of track. Track, and it's sitting on the display base. If you see the update, you'll see the display base. I've got the track on there, and then the end of the, actually, this part here, the dead end part of the track. Yeah, goes on there that I'm working on right now. So yeah, and it's gonna like I said, there's a snow scene, and it's gonna have the one of the water towers, and and it's got see six soldiers huddled around a fire, waiting out a blizzard. And I know snow because I have it seven months a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If anyone can do snow, it's gonna be Brett. So uh, when you're done with the kit. Do you take it to the hardware store to display it? Um, I try to rotate out. I probably have, I think I have 12 there now between cars, armor, and planes. So I rotate out what's out there. So when this one's done, it'll go there. It depends on the quality. That Typhoon that I finished that it just annoyed me and I don't like, it's not going to the store. No. But, you know, I rotate out what I've got. So I think I've got four planes and five cars and two tanks there right now. So, so basically, you have the never-ending stash with a display case at work. That that could be almost any solving two problems at once. Exactly. Because <laughs> you know, like Mark was saying earlier, my stash is huge, several thousand kits. It is. I made, I made a deal with God that I can't die until they're all built. So, oh geez, I just uh, keep. You're not going for a long time then. Yeah, I'll keep behind it and I'll live forever. It is. Um, I, I don't know whether there's a Guinness World Record for the biggest stash, but um, uh, honestly, Josh, I don't, have, have you seen it, Josh? Have you seen Brett's stash? I'm going to say no. No, I, I remember. So this is this is going back about four or five years. Brett, done. A, he took us round his stash uh, with a little camera he'd got, and I think it took about half an hour, maybe more, and that was just walking through. Um, I have. It was almost like his home was built out of kits, uh, especially down. It's in the basement, and it you had like pillars of them all over. There was, well, not basement anymore. And I've got one wall of my garage with models, and I've got two storage rooms in upstairs here with me full of models, and I've got these sitting around. It didn't help opening a hardware or a hobby store because I get them cheaper now. <laughs> oh, man. How so, do you deal with the, the cat hair, just out of curiosity? 
You know, I've never had that much problem with cat hair. It seems like they don't shed as much as some people's cats do. Maybe it's because where we live, it's so cold all the time. But this cat loves to lick sanders. Really? <laughs> when I let, like, um, Flory or UMP washes dry in a tub, she'll lick the clay out of the bottom of the tub. Oh, wow. She's over there right now trying to get to one of the sanders to lick. Oh, really? Some sort of texture thing that she's got where she just likes yeah, to lick well, uh, Cat's tongues are, are textured a bit like sanders, aren't they? A bit. They've got that gritty feel to them. But yeah, they don't seem to shed all that much. If um, I leave a sitting around, like the B-17 over there, for too long without touching it, it'll get cat hair on it. Yeah. I'm always doing stuff. It, it just stays, seems to stay okay. So if anyone wants to uh, pop in and look at your store, whereabouts are, whereabouts is it, Brett? Uh, we're in Leadville, Colorado. We're the highest elevation hardware and hobby store in the country, in the North America. And uh, opening times, you just... Uh, we're open from 8 in the morning till 6 at night during the week, and then till 5 at night during the weekends. And uh, if they want to if they want to follow you and look at watch some of your YouTube videos, and I highly recommend that you go and do this, um, because uh, Brett has uh, a wide range of videos they're not all tanks they're not all planes they're not all bikes cars he's got so many different things going on um and he does a lot of reviews it's not just on new kits he looks at older kits as well um really is a whole wealth of knowledge there it's um high altitude modeling isn't it high altitude scale modeling High altitude scale modeling, and uh, you're on YouTube and Facebook. Yep, same name. So, we will put links in the podcast below. Um, once again, thanks for coming in, Brett. It's nice to catch up with you again. Um, have you got any more questions, Josh? Is there anything no, else? I'm good, we covered a lot. Yeah, I'm just making sure there's nothing on this. You got any questions you want to ask us, uh, Brett, or anything you want to let people know about? Hmm. Well, if you want to buy any online stuff from me, you can go to highaltitudehobbies.com. Highaltitudehobbies.com. And that's yeah, that's uh, stuff is, and I've got some of the kits up there and Mission Models paints. And once the Tamiya lacquers come in, I'll have those. Excellent. So. Uh, in america yeah so if you're in america and you want to um well brett's just said it excellent um so uh, once again brett thank you very much for coming in um very grateful that you've uh, put time aside to come in and uh do question and answers with us and uh, i think that's about it for this episode um I don't think there's anything else we need to add at this point. So my thanks to everyone that's watching. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. See you later.
I was just 